The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, all right, welcome to the program. It is Wednesday. You are listening and watching TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you so much for joining us, and a big hello to everybody in the TNT chat community. Great to see you guys in there. we got uh, some interesting conversations that are going to be had today. There's some, some breaking news coming out of the United States of America, game-changing stuff regarding the 2024 elections. I'll be talking about that in a moment, and we'll be joined by Freddie Ponton as well, a European correspondent uh, in the first hour. Looking forward to that conversation, as always, to be illuminated by what Freddie has got serving up for us. We'll be covering a lot of in-depth uh, Israeli military matters uh, regarding the operations in the Gaza Strip. So Freddie's got that, plus the uh, information war. They've really stepped up on the Israeli side. They seem to be doubling down on the October 7th narrative, even though there's a lot of evidence that's emerging that shows that actually Israel is involved in a lot of the massacres of their own people. This is from the Israeli police and the Israeli military. Admissions have been published in the Israeli press, ladies and gentlemen gentlemen, why are you not reading about this in the United States mainstream media or the Western mainstream media? Why? Why don't they want to touch that story? It's in the Israeli press. Hmm. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? If, uh, what our media is up to. Trust the media. Don't worry. Trust the government. Trust the media. Always trust the mainstream media and always trust your government because what they say is always correct. It's always true, especially when there's a war or a conflict that's going to break out. Always be glued to your television and and believe everything you see and hear on CNN, on Fox, on MSNBC, and believe everything you see on the BBC, the Times, and all the major mainstream media outlets, New York Times, Washington Post, because only then will you have a true picture of what's actually going on in the world. Believe government, believe mainstream media. Any questions? Any questions? Do we do we even need to carry on with this program? That's all you need to know. You've got the mainstream media and government. Why do you need us? Why do you need TNT? Why do you need Patrick Henningsen? It's a good question. I don't know. We'll ramble on anyway. You might find some interesting information in the next two hours anyway. So Freddie Ponton's going to serve it up for us in the first hour. Second hour, very pleased to be joined by... An excellent pundit and somebody who has definitely got his finger on the pulse of so many different aspects, especially U.S. politics. Benjamin Rubenstein joining us. He's going to talk about not just the Biden administration and their absolute quagmire uh, of supporting Israel on this hemorrhaging support. The polling is shocking, actually. It is making a difference on the Democratic side. But also the Epstein client list is being de- declassified, unsealed, you could say, in legal terms. Ben Rubenstein, we're going to talk about that. Is there any connection between U.S. support for Israel and the Epstein client list? This will be an interesting topic to discuss with Benjamin Rubenstein in the second hour. Now, the big story that's breaking, of course, we have to discuss, and I promise to break it down for you uh, in good fashion. Colorado has jumped the shark. Uh, The Democratic judges in the Colorado State Supreme Court, this is not the federal Supreme Court, this Colorado State Court, have basically removed Donald Trump from the ballot. You're probably scratching your heads right now saying, how could Democratic judges uh, in a state remove a Republican candidate from the ballot? Well, they just did. They claim somehow that uh, Donald Trump is in violation of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which uh, has a ban on insurrection activities. So they've interpreted January 6th. That's when you had uh, uh, the Buffalo Man and all Baked Alaska and all these sort of reprobates munting into the Capitol, taking selfies, putting their feet up on desks, basically taking a lot of video, and then you had a whole lot of FBI informants uh, smashing windows outside um, and trying to ramp up a right. You remember that? That was called the insurrection, January 6th. Yes, they arrested thousands of people, uh, put a lot of Trump supporters in jail. Why? Uh, For trespassing or things that are normally be a misdemeanor uh, became not only a federal felony, but like 
equivalent to treason. So they're trying to knock Donald Trump off the ballot because they claim that he inspired this so-called insurrection. Now, uh, is this going to fly? It will most certainly will be kicked up to the federal court. Uh, this is almost certain. The problem is the deadline on the ballot is fast approaching. Uh, we're talking about really the first week in January, January 5th, actually, a fortuitous day. So this decision has to be rendered before then. What options do the Republicans have? Well, the legal challenge is underway. You've got a majority Republican, uh, conservative, not Republican, conservative Supreme Court if you believe the leanings of the justices on paper. So the chances are, if it reaches the federal court, is expedited to the federal Supreme Court level, that it will get a favorable ruling. In other words, something more akin to common sense, i.e., Democrats cannot kick Republicans off ballots to fix elections. So this, so imagine this, Donald Trump's whole accusation, the thing that caused the January 6th controversy, was that the elections are rigged, that there's a deep state, the Democratic Party establishment are, are interfering in elections, rigging elections, cheating, basically, uh, in order to knock out their competition. That's the accusation. Well, what have we seen here this week? It really vindicates Donald Trump's whole thesis. And this is exactly what's happening. So what is this going to do? Uh, it looks to me like it's probably ultimately going to galvanize more support for Donald Trump. The only thing is technically can they kick him off the ballot? What does that mean? That you know, if you can't get a redress of your grievances in a democratic system at the ballot box, um guess what happens? Uh those redresses of grievances are uh, settled on the street. We're just saying that's how it works in history. So not a good idea by the Democrats, but maybe that's what the establishment wants. They want to see civil unrest. They want to see a civil war. And then they'll move in with the assets of the state, the police state, in order to put that down. Okay. Now, I'm going to be clear here. Myself, uh, what, if this was a Democrat they were doing this to, I would defend them. If it's a Republican, I would defend them because this is just a pure uh, common sense, right and wrong constitutional issue. This is an abuse of the U.S. Constitution. In fact, the 14th Amendment is a legacy. It's a legacy item in the Constitution, and it's a relic of the Civil War. Okay, this goes right back to the mid-19th century. So they ruled on this opinion of 4-3. I mean, we've got the profiles of these justices on 21st Century Wire. I mean, that's, it's pretty shocking to see these are activist judges. These are not proper. This is another problem we have in America is activist judges. But anyway, uh, this, this, this provision was put in place because of the Civil War, uh, because they had issues with people from the Confederate states during Reconstruction, after the Civil War, trying to preserve the continuity of the Union, certain checks and balances had to be put into place. And one of those was uh, provisions for the former Confederate states. And, and moreover, uh, officials from the Confederacy in the South seeking public office. And so th th this is one of the issues that the uh, various framers over the years have taken into account. And... This, this is a narrow interpretation by the Colorado court. This is literally creating, interpreting it history one way in order to reapply it to the present where it's completely irrelevant and out of context. This is the weaponization of lawfare, effectively. No one's ever done this really before. If they have, it would be for very specific reasons, like a civil war. That was a real insurrection, you know, talking about 600,000 soldiers dead. We're talking about a war between the North and South, the bloodiest war in U.S. history. That That's a real insurrection, not a bunch of yahoos showing up, a bunch of alt-right yahoos with their cell phones, taking films of themselves, and a whole gaggle of FBI and DHS informants trying to start a riot outside, and they're on the payroll of the government and fake pipe bombs and all the rest of it, okay? That's not an insurrection. That's a cluster you-know-what, okay? There's a big difference between those two things. But unfortunately, some people don't see the difference, and in truth, they probably know the difference, but the level of dishonesty, dis disingenuous, 
political uh, activism uh, that's just gone out of control. It threatens to destabilize the country. It's ruining and laying waste to our uh, democratic system in the United States. And this is this is an attack not just on democracy, um, but this is really subverting the U.S. Constitution, perverting it uh, in a way that should never be done. Anyway, we break it all down, all the different aspects of this at 21st Century Wire. So it's a pretty comprehensive. We've just laid in some of the main points here and cited a bunch of sources online, brought it together, synthesized it uh, as well. We can go into more detail about this. I'm actually going to hit this harder in the second hour. So at the top of the second hour, we'll, we'll pick up the thread on this. Anyway, let's take a break right now with TNT. Today's News Talk, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host on the other side, over to the Middle East with Freddie Ponton. All this and more, stick around. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the Church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. When the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. You have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. what we do best. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 
All right, welcome back. Welcome back. We're still in hour number one of this live broadcast. Uh, direct everybody over to the TNT chat community. If you're listening on the live link, we got a whole bunch of new listeners from the X platform. Thank you for your DMs. Uh, thank you also for your great comments, the links, and all the information you're sharing with us. And if you're, you're listening on the live, either vision or on audio, you want to be in the TNT chat room, which is on TNT radio dot live. You just go into the lower right hand corner, you'll see a red bubble. You just click on that, you'll log in, you remain logged in. You can do multiple sessions, and that's where the community is. That's where all the action is during the show. That's where you want to be. So get into the TNT chat community. You'll make some new friends uh, while you're at it. Now, uh, on the line right now, I want to just skip over the Atlantic, over to uh, the great country of France, uh, one of the last bastions of uh, – there's a lot of sane people in France. I don't know about the government, but the people are wonderful. Uh, one of those great people is independent journalist freddie ponton on the line right now uh freddie who's uh, our acting european correspondent for many different things but he's been covering the middle east a lot uh in the last nine weeks and for good reason uh there's important things happening there world-changing events are taking place as we speak in the middle east especially uh in gaza right now freddie welcome to the program fantastic thank you very much for having me patrick it's good to be back on the show as well Thank you very much, uh, Freddie. And uh, looks like we've got some uh, pretty interesting things happening. The dial is moving a little bit. Um, there's a diff couple of different reasons of that. Um, my personal opinion is Yemen has really forced the issue uh, and put a lot of people on the back heels. That's amazing. We can talk about that. But also Christmas is coming. This is the time of reflection uh, in the political spheres in the West, especially in Washington, where people get together over the holidays and discuss how pissed off they are about what the government's doing so the situation if it's just keeps festering you're sitting there in church it's one of the only times that christians go to church anyway in america freddie easter and christmas and you're sitting there and thinking wow there's a genocide going on in gaza at the foundation of christianity in palestine and our governments are either either supporting it or not doing anything to stop it this can create a crisis, uh, Freddie, and that this is happening in different countries. Uh, you can speak about Europe, of course, and I want you to, um, but also in the United States, this is a big issue. There's pressure to make a move before Christmas, but they've only got a few days left, Freddie. Where are we at right now? Well, it's uh, it's a mess, Patrick. It's a real mess on the diplomatic scene. It's an absolute nonsense. Nothing is making sense. Uh, from what we can gather, whether it's from the uh, Israeli government or whether it is from the United States government, there seems that they are not on the same page. And that is the reason why it creates so much tensions and so much incoherence within the debate. And I think that the Arab world is finding it very difficult to make sense of what the United States wants to do, how they want to move forward in order to secure at least a ceasefire before the Christmas. And on, on the other hand, you have a, a Netanyahu that seems pretty stubborn uh, for reasons that are very obvious. Uh, he has surrounded himself, as we all know, with some uh, extreme hardliner Zionists, which seems to be very happy to continue the uh, genocide that is currently taking place in in uh, in the Gaza Strip. So everybody seems to be uh, having difficulties to uh, to come up with a, a kind of a consensus that will please everyone. So everybody has interests, everybody has political agenda, whether it's domestically, whether it's internationally, and everybody wants to look good. The problem is that uh, is the footage, it is the video, it is the information that is coming out of the West Bank or out of the Gaza Strip that are very, very difficult to manage because it's really clearly transpires now that uh, the uh, Iraqi uh, uh, defense forces or uh, occupation forces, uh, you take your pick, but uh, at the end of the day, we, we no one believes there any longer. Uh, perhaps even the United States is starting to doubt that uh, Israel is listening uh, they've been told, they've been asked uh, on, a uh, on, on, on several occasions by the United States government and the European Union to be very cautious about the civilians in Gaza. And yet we are seeing an increase in the violence and the atrocities that are currently taking place uh, in, the, in the southern border, whether it's Rafah or Khan Yunis, and uh, uh, almost two million people that have been displaced in this horrible place that is uh, Al-Mawasi. So... 
uh, again, I think it's very difficult to manage the uh, uh, the public opinion, and the public opinion right now uh, understand clearly that something is really wrong. And I think that's what I would like to touch upon today: is what's going on? What is so wrong that the Israeli professional in Hasbara and in marketing communication strategy to sell you any lies is possible, cannot get you a straight pictures of what actually is going on on the ground. And it feels that the United States getting tired of backing up a lie. And I think that is extremely dangerous, Patrick, a very, very dangerous, especially we're sprinting towards Christmas now, and no one seems to be in accord. Let's look at the numbers right now. Uh, you've also retweeted this. Uh, I think the source on this is Euromed Human Rights Monitor. Uh, so number killed. And by the way, I've also been told by human rights workers that these numbers are underestimated. I'm just, I'm just saying. So caveat, Israeli genocide in the Gaza Strip. This is December 19th, 26,612 killed, 10,305 uh, children, 5,475 women, 24,320 civilians, 52,390 injured, 52,000. So total casualties, the term casualty will be killed or wounded. Total casualties now at 79,000, roughly 79,000. Journalists killed, 93. Freddie, there's a journalist being killed almost once a day on average. Number of displaced, nearly 2 million. That is, is one of the most shocking uh, statistics if we consider how small of a piece of land, Freddie, we're talking about there. It's tiny. That's just an obscene number of people to be displaced in such a small uh, area. There's no room to move, basically. Destroyed homes, 63,000 destroyed homes, partially destroyed, 173,000. I can't even tell you. I mean, 162 mosques, four churches destroyed, hospitals. Have we got a stat for that? I, I don't know if I have a stat on this sheet, but uh, it's probably very high so and the list goes on freddie i mean so so who can sustain this type of damage well nobody can that's just a disaster it's beyond the pale it, it, the the break should have been hit a long time ago this is part of the problem freddie is it's gone so far over the edge we don't really have any sort of point of reference of how to rein in something that's already gone we're watching it real time it's not like we don't have a line of communication with the Israelis. Washington does. Europe does. But yet nothing's happening. This is this is new territory and and, and very dark, a very dark path, Freddie. Go ahead. Yes, it's it, it it is very frightening to be honest, and it's really unprecedented. I think that's the uh, the way I will summarize all these numbers. They are all extremely unprecedented. The United Nations have mentioned this, and many many associations, uh, uh, human rights watch, people that are covering uh, war crimes and so on, all agree that what we are currently seeing in in the Gaza Strip is absolutely unprecedented. Uh, and the reason for that, because we, we need to obviously uh, deepen our analysis in the reason behind that. And my view on it, uh, I mean, everybody has their opinion. Personally, I'm looking at a, at a ticking bomb. I'm looking at a conflict that has already spread uh, internationally, at least regionally. Uh, that's not something in, 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 anymore, anyway, in discussed at this moment in time. Uh, we can see really the Houthis. We can see basically uh, the intensity of the conflict at the northern Israeli border with the Hezbollah, uh, which also uh, are subjected to casualties and uh, intense uh, uh, fire from the air as well from Israel. So we can see that this conflict has already taken a regional proportions. And then on the other side, the ticking bomb is simply because uh, uh, the uh, the Israeli lie, probably, probably the biggest lie with regards to how this military campaign is uh, being successful in the Gaza Strip. Uh, my view on it is that uh, uh, there is a lot of unknown as far as the progress, as far as actually how this campaign is doing. My view on it and um, analysis, if I compare to what I've uh, used to follow during the attacks on Fallujah uh, and other places in Iraq, I can see that the um, 
uh, airstrikes are intensifying in certain areas of the Gaza Strip, but I think on the ground they are facing some real difficulties. And uh, I'll go back to the events, uh, which were, I think, for me, extremely important last week with these uh, uh, two major events. One was the uh, uh, hostage uh, 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 killed by the IDF, uh, accidentally or not, that is going to be to be defined by an investigation. Uh, but clearly what we can see is the tactics and the guerrilla warfare tactics that the Hamas is now using. And it really putting a shame, the Israeli uh, army at the moment, because they're doing something that uh, I think uh, has been prepared and rehearsed uh, at least a year ago, in order to be fluent in this kind of uh, tactics and guerrilla warfare, you need to rehearse and rehearse. It has to be almost instinctive. And what we are seeing and what I can analyze from the ground is that uh, the way they take out the vehicles, the tanks, which the IDF, uh, the, the, the Golani uh, brigades, the top elite of the Israeli army, are using to protect themselves when moving forward into the Gaza Strip, uh, these vehicles are being taken out and they have been taken out and they are actually creating a lot of casualties within the troops, the top elite troop of the Israeli army with three majors. You get one colonel, a lot of enlisted people uh, actually being injured. And it's really uh, uncertain whether they will be able to, for some of them, those that have been injured, to resume uh, uh, their, 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 their position within the battlefield. And what is very interesting is to see how the Hamas is actually targeting the rescue mission. So when you are basically uh, using a vehicle to protect yourself and your brigade has been basically injured as the result of the explosion, then you call in the rescue to evacuate your injured. And the problem is that the Hamas is targeting the rescue. And that very same rescue now has casualty and has to call another rescue, which also get ambushed. So the series of ambush is creating a lot of casualties, few deaths, of course, amongst the officers, but it's created also an effect that is uh, very difficult to manage from a warfare point of view, and that is to be in a position to secure the areas that you called secure. So we see, and I'm sure you heard it, but you saw the, the Israeli government saying that they've actually taken control of Jabalia region of the Gaza Strip, but yet they're still bombarding. Earlier this morning, yesterday, they were still bombarding these particular areas and the refugee camps. So you don't bombard, you don't, uh, you know, drop bombs on a place that you are physically controlled. And on the other side, you certainly don't have casualties during rescue missions because you're in control. So clearly there is a lie done the line. And this lie, it, it is just the continuations of what Israel has been doing for a very long time, at least for the last past two months. And that is to put themselves in a position where they can actually claim some form of victory, some form of something that's going to appease uh, the uh, Israeli citizenry, which is growing very upset and very uh, angry because of the hostages being now killed, the hostages being basically uh, under threat of uh, dying because of constant airstrikes and, uh, you know, the, the less and less possibility for a safe rescue of these uh, hostages, unfortunately. You know, it's amazing. You talk about the hostages, Freddie, and those are all really important points on the military front. Just shows you how precarious the whole operation is, the ground operation in Gaza. But the, 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 these three Israeli hostages, I, I think they were soldiers or IDF, and they were shot and killed by the IDF when they were waving the white flag, literally with their shirts off. This was a couple of days ago. And th this just triggered huge protests in the streets in Tel Aviv because uh, the people are kind of like, well, what's going on here? Why don't you just release all the hostages and do a deal with Hamas? So why did they end the ceasefire? So so that that was a that, that's the one thing that's caused a trigger in the U.S. media. Believe it or not, it's these three hostages. Somehow, Freddie, this story has got some traction, and it's literally bringing on all of these people apologizing on you on all the U.S. media because they're like, "Well, yeah. Israel didn't quite know what to do." I mean, uh, so you can see little stumbling block like this causes a whole cascade of doubt right across the well, system. They, they, Go ahead. 
There is a scandal, sorry to interject, Patrick. Yes, there is There is a scandal that actually has emerged, which I believe is uh, is going to get more traction on social media. But uh, clearly what we have seen now is the uh, uh, it's same as the October the 7th. You know, it takes always a bit of time for some footage and some information to transpire. But this one is quite damning because you what, what happened is you, you have the father of the, uh, one of the father of the hostage that was killed by the IDF, uh, he, he actually uh, came on uh, on Channel 13 in Israel claiming that the army has actually video footage of the incidents, but they refuses to release the footage. And it's very interesting because uh, uh, he, he, he came during this interview and explained that uh, there are actually uh, footage and this footage come uh, from actually uh, 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 Israeli soldiers using dogs and there was cameras on this dog. We know the Israeli uh, use cameras. We saw and I actually exposed that on several occasions that they fit their dogs with cameras when they send them to tunnels and a lot of these dogs die. But this dog was uh, basically uh, out there filming uh, alongside the uh, uh, this operation. And part of the footage clearly shows that the hostages, these free hostages, are asking for help. And they're asking it in Hebrew. They're not speaking Arabic. So clearly that these are Israeli hostages uh, with a, a flag trying to wave, trying to say, please come and rescue us. They're speaking in Hebrew. And that particular footage uh, is now, uh, uh, is not been released to the public, but uh, that particular person has been able to review it. And uh, it's very, very damning because I think that if that footage come out uh, and people will be able to watch it in retrospect, uh, and they're going to be absolutely uh, furious to hear hostages asking and calling for help in Hebrew. Uh, so there is no mistakes. There's clearly simply one thing that is basically the, the cornerstone of the IDF uh, motus operandi, which is the uh, uh, Daria doctrine, which is basically uh, killing anything that moves. It doesn't make any differentiations between the civilians and uh, the militaries because as I said, Hamas doesn't always wear the uniform and the bandana. They mix uh, and they're basically using guerrilla warfare. They're in and out, coming and popping out of tunnels, and they can be anybody. They can be civilians. They can be army. There's no way to tell. However, a trained uh, army, a trained military special forces, would know how to restrain themselves from killing and to assess and making sure that understand who are these people, are they a threat, are they carrying a, 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 a vest with explosive, what kind of people are we dealing with? And that's basically a training you undergo in the military in order to rapidly assess what you're dealing with, whether it's a threat or whether it's not, and you contain it. But they were not able to do that. They just pop the guys and now they're trying to tell it was an accident sorry about that but war must go on because we have goals we have goals that we need to achieve and we need to achieve them before the united states shatters down with a ceasefire uh, resolution at the united nations security council so the time uh, the clock is ticking patrick and it's huge pressure and that pressure it's very dangerous, especially in the hands of Israeli and people like Ben Gvir, uh, Gans, you know, Gallant, all these, you know, lunatics that are absolutely crazy and talking about real, some real atrocities and legitimizing what they're currently doing in the Gaza Strip. I'm very worried about the next step, Patrick. Yeah, well, you know, Israel's uh, so so deep into their own propaganda and their own sort of bad decisions that uh, at some point, you know, this is what happens. You have to double down. There's no other. You, you just as you forget about saving face. It's just about total annihilation at that point. And this this really this hostage uh, story, just to wrap this up, just kind of undermines that whole narrative that uh, the IDF, the most compassionate military in the world, and they're taking care yeah. to avoid uh, casualties and all this. It, it, they're not very well trained. Uh, it's really a bunch of thugs that are basically used to beating and bombing unarmed civilians. And in fact, um, I might sound flippant here. I might sound a little bit wild in my assertion, but if you look at their achievements in the last 50 years, their biggest achievements have been bombing civilians and subduing uh, unarmed civilians and abusing 
just your average uh, villager in the West Bank or in Gaza, mm. just forget it at this point. But uh, I, I, they, they don't have a lot in terms of military achievements. And that's just a, they are a victim of their own success with this deterrence posture that they've adopted uh, with the, the walls they've built over the years. This hasn't strengthened the IDF. It's made it weaker. It's made it's 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 turned it into a sort of paper tiger and really just a kind of a, a blunt instrument, if you will, of uh, the government uh, in in Tel Aviv. Let's take a break, though. Uh, I'm here with Freddie Ponton. We're delving into the details of Gaza, the interesting emerging details. We've got more to cover on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. This is TNT. Today's news talk. We'll be right back. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. A few weeks ago, it was brutally cold across Europe. That colder air moved into the northern and central parts of Siberia, and it's now moving through China, where they've had some of the coldest temperatures that they've ever recorded. Now, this cold air, when it comes out over the Pacific, is going to cause a very interesting phenomenon. We're going to see this big upper air low pressure system really get cranking around the Aleutians. When that happens, the whole weather pattern in North America, which has been very, very warm, is going to change. What will happen is you'll get a big upper high pressure system that will develop in response to that over the western part of North America. And that will send the Arctic air down into North America, especially the central and eastern part of the United States, for January. Now, what's interesting is this is known as the bathtub slosh theory, except that it doesn't really slosh. The theory is if it's cold on one side of the pole, a month to a month and a half later, it gets cold on the other side of the pole. But the way it accomplishes it is through a process where the cold air in Asia moves out over the water, and because the water is warm, causes the development of this big upper air storm, which in turn changes the weather pattern across North America. So we are not only the climate watchdog, but we're the weather watchdog. And while we've had a North American December exactly opposite of last year, well, guess what? Winter quit last year in January and February in North America. It looks like it's going to start coming out gangbusters this year, but not till after Christmas. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. What do I love about riding? It's the thrill, the excitement. Riding gives me a sense of freedom. I feel so connected to the road. Riding is like therapy to me. It makes me feel alive. Love riding? Back off. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We're still in the first hour of this live broadcast. I'm joined on the line by Freddie Ponton, independent journalist. Follow Freddie on X, a Twitter. You want to be hitting his feed. He's been putting out a lot of amazing threads. He's been doing that on a daily basis. That's uh, LFC News Media. Just put Freddie Ponton into the search bar, and you'll come up and follow him on that platform. Freddie, um, on, the, on the Gaza Middle Eastern front, I mean, I, I, if there's... If there's if there's anything else you want to share with us that, that you think is key information, by all means, do that. But I want to get your opinion on the developments uh, from Yemen, because I think this is a big game changer. But go ahead, Freddie. Yeah, I mean, for, for the way I look at it at the moment is the uh, uh, the uh, we, we saw some great effort from the World Food Program, from Jordan, actually, uh, Bringing in some uh, some help and some uh, uh, some uh, some food and supply from from the Jordanian border. So I don't know too much how this was negotiated. It happens today, uh, but we can see that uh, uh, more states and Arab states are going now to try to do something. Uh, whether with asking the permissions or, or, or maybe not, but uh, uh, one thing is for sure is that people wants to see this particular conflict you know coming to an end at least from a military operation point of view and then the diplomatic talk uh, can uh, can start but uh, as i said uh, earlier in into the program is no one 
uh, is lined up. No one is on the same page. As I said, Netanyahu doesn't want the PA, doesn't want the Hamas in the Gaza Strip. You have the United States that say they don't want to see Israel in the Gaza Strip as an occupying force. So who's going to be <laughs> taking control of the uh, Gaza Strip is a question that is no one has been able to answer so far. Not the Arab world. The Arab world has been very clear. They don't want to get involved in being on the ground uh, in, uh, in, in the Gaza Strip. So it's a bit of a conundrum for at least Israel and for the United States. And I think that uh, uh, we're going to need to see some new actors in these debates that can actually uh, uh, maybe uh, come up with a, a solutions without having these uh, international political exposures like the, some of the Arab states have, or even the United States. So perhaps that flight from Russia could be a, a solution. Perhaps they're bringing maybe a, a, a possible uh, a solution to the conflict, uh, basically helping the US and Israel, uh, which literally uh, put themselves uh, in a corner that is going to be very difficult to extract themselves off. So it's really, really interesting in, in that sense. You know, the conflict, the atrocities, uh, the failure of the idea from a tactical point of view. I think we've been lied to. They're not doing great. A huge amount of casualties and a completely, complete failure from the diplomatic on the Israeli and on the U.S. part, simply because they choose the wrong option. You don't replicate. You don't replicate a strategy. What you've done in Ukraine or what you've done in in uh, uh, in Lebanon, for example, is one war. It's one tactic. It's one strategy. You don't replicate that and you apply it to another place like Gaza, because perhaps you're going to meet someone that has done their homework and that is prepared. And I think that's exactly what's happening there, Patrick. No, on the on the Yemen front. So, to, as people who are may or may not be aware, uh, Yemen, the Yemeni resistance, answer Allah, the, or they call them the Houthis uh, in the West. Um, this is regarded by a lot of Yemenis as the legitimate government. Of course, the United States and Saudi Arabia have their own uh, Mansur al Hadi or some government in exile. Think of it as the Juan Guaido of Yemen. That's what the U.S. and Saudi seem to be backing. It's a joke, I know, folks, but that's just, you know, that's what the war was about, believe it or not. So anyway, nine years later, uh, Yemeni is, uh, the Yemenis are not just down, they're up and they're better than they were uh, a few years ago. They've adapted, they've gotten more capabilities. They've now said they're going to continue interdicting Israeli ships uh, through the Bab al-Mandeb Straits into the Red Sea, if they if they suspect that they're providing any material support for Israel or they're Israeli-owned or Israeli-flagged or whatever, uh, they're going to interdict them. So the United States has announced this grand coalition. I forgot what they're calling it, like us enduring prosperity or one of these stupid operational names they come up with. So it was meant to be Gulf states, Egypt, and also some European states, but the Egyptians have announced they're not really keen on getting involved. They want to do this through dip diplomacy. What's Yemeni asking for? Answer Allah. This is the government in Sana'a. This is uh, effectively the capital of Yemen, uh, the operating capital, okay? Uh, again, the country is somewhat partitioned because of this war. The U.S. is hoping to split it. Saudi wanted to split it, not going to do it. They're saying Israel needs to stop the genocide in Gaza. If they do, we will stop interdicting Israeli ships on the high seas. And the U.S. is, so they're saying, so the U.S.'s response is, well, we're not going to pressure Israel to change their policy. Instead, we're going to start to open another front, possibly in a war against Yemen, or at least it's going to start off with moving naval assets into the Gulf of Aden, right off the coast there, and they're going to intimidate Yemen, and then they're going to police the shipping lanes there. That is a huge job. There's thousands of ships going through there every hour. Okay, it's ridiculously compli complicated. So so now the UAE and Saudi Arabia are saying, no, no, we're not so keen in joining this coalition uh, for obvious reasons, because Yemeni is, have dealt serious damage to them during this bogus, dirty war that's been waged on Yemen over the last nine years. So they got bloody noses. They don't want in it. So what are you left with? France, Netherlands, Canada, uh, the Seychelles? The Seychelles? Yeah, a couple of major <laughs> okay, players, the show, maybe maritime forces. Um, <laughs> the, the the idea is really to, again, same as what the United States did as the 
during the early part of the conflict and is to uh, to provide deterrence. But deterrence can be very costly, uh, very costly. And the worst that could happen as an incident is that a couple of uh, Navy ships, you know, or part of that uh, a coalition real estates <laughs> go down at the bottom of the Red Sea. And that's what I'm really worried about because we know uh, what the, the Yemenites and what these guys, the Houthis, uh, have accumulated uh, over the years, especially the experience they have gained during the conflict with Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia knows them very well. The problem is that the Houthi, as, the Houthi, as we know, are backed by Iran. And uh, there has been a rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Iran uh, and within the discussion of the BRICS. So that makes it politically a nightmare because on one side, you want to shake the hand and ha have a nice handshake with Iran if you're a Saudi. But on the other side, you get the Yemeni, see the little troublemaker out there for the south that controls the Al-Bab. Al-Bab in Arabic means the door. So this is the door, the gateway to uh, to the uh, uh, to to Europe in a certain way. I mean, it doesn't matter if you you can't make it to the um, uh, through the, the canal of Suez, the Suez Canal. If you can't make it to the Suez Canal, that particular gate becomes basically the gates to Europe. So, from a geo strategic point of view, you need to understand that you know <laughs> this is uh, the the pre uh, the pre Suez Canal in a certain way because it's very narrow. It's facing Djibouti, and with the weaponries that is available to the Houthi, they have. Uh, uh, ARC missile that they can fire at any real estate passing there. So if the French or the Americans, the Brits or the, the Dutch are going to go down there, well, they definitely can uh, bring some special forces and some troops with some air force and, you know, F-15, F-16, you know, pounding the entire uh, shoreline of, of of Yemen, you know, at uh, uh, um, at this particular Bab uh, El El El, El Mandeb uh, areas, then uh, clearly uh, this is probably what's going to happen because uh, I don't think uh, uh, the Yemenites are going to miss that opportunity to inflict some kind of damage to this uh, uh, maritime real estate uh, of their shore. I mean, it's just too good to be true. The war is coming to their shore instead of them having to fire a missile that likely will be intercepted on their way to Israel. So from a strategic point of view, I think that uh, you would want to cool it down, not bring the war to these people, because this could be another reason now for this conflict to escalate to a brand new level. As soon as a real estate, as soon as a ship goes down, and as soon as people are starting to die, whether they're French, whether they're American, uh, this is going to take a, new, a brand new level, which is going to obviously drag in at some stage uh, everyone, everyone in the so, region is going to have so, to, so you, to make a call. Look at this. Look at this. You know, the, the, the Yemenis did not do this just for fun. They, they want to draw no. in the United States. So they want yeah. to overstretch the U.S. is overstretched in Iraq. They, they're occupying in Syria, totally uh, exposed there. They're going to if they, if they stretch into the Gulf of Aden, Babo Mendeb, that they're going to further further exposure there. So Ye Yemenis have got nothing to lose. Um, in fact, they, they would revel at the opportunity to have a confrontation with the U.S. This is what people in the West don't understand, is the Yemenis are not afraid. Think about this. What are they doing, Freddie? They're enforcing their own sanctions. They, they have a right by international law because Israel's in violation of international law of, of Geneva conventions. So Yemeni saying we are sanctioning any Israeli shipments. The United States do the same thing. They hijack Iranian oil tankers sending fuel to Syria. Syria's under sanctions. Iran's under sanctions. So Yemeni's doing everything according to international law. They're, they're acting like a state actor normally acts. The, the difference, Freddie, is they're the only ones with the balls to actually step out and do something about what's going on in Gaza. I mean, I'm just blown away. Like if, if this is, is this how it is? The poorest country in the world, the poorest country in the world is the only one who's stepping out to put their foot down and try to make ch change the, 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 the situation in Gaza. This is incredible. Yes. It's, it's, it's really the, uh, the, 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 
I, I'd say the cornerstone of understanding this war and and the real uh, concept of the idea of defeating an ideology. You don't defeat an ideology. You might defeat, you might kill Hamas, you might kill some Houthis, but you won't kill the idea, the idea that these people are sick and tired of being told what to do, how to do it, how to live, what you believe in, and being, uh, you know, basically a blackmail and getting sanctioned by states coming from the other side of the world because they're trying to maintain the hegemony, especially onto the uh, uh, fossil fuel resources uh, within this particular part of the world. So right now, they have, no, as you say, they have nothing to lose and they are not scared of dying. Same for the Hamas, same for the Hezbollah. These are people that believe they have a cause and they believe their cause is just. Whether you agree or not, it's irrelevant. What matters is that these people will throw themselves in front of a tank or they'll go onto a speedboat, you know, even if they're going to die, it doesn't matter. They'll do it for the curse because they believe what they're doing. That is extremely difficult to beat this, you know, in a realistic manner. And you might be dragged into a conflict that might expand for not just a couple of weeks. You know, look at Afghanistan, look at all those places. All these conflicts eventually end up escalating and countries like America and even France and Britain end up staying in there for years to, and at the end, uh, to realize that uh, maybe this was a, a poor choice and that cost a lot of life, a lot of money, uh, and a lot of corporations has made a lot of money, but at the end of the day, nothing has been solved. So again, that's for me the, really the cornerstone of this entire conflict with Gaza. Uh, nothing is going to be resolved. Even if the Hamas was to disappear at the end of this conflict, Hamas is present in South America. They're all over, you know, uh, the New Mexico, Mexico and all those places because they deal with cartel on a regular basis. I mean, if you're buying guns from the back of the lorry, as the same, my friend in Britain, <laughs> you, you're, you're going to deal with cartel. So that's mean that Hamas will eventually uh, kind of uh, melt into this cartel, uh, re reintegrate in a different shape, different form with younger population, which lost their parents, their entire family in the Gaza Strip. And they'll be back at it as soon as they reinvigorated themselves. The idea of patience is very important. When you know the Arab cultures, you live in the Arab world, you'll understand that. You'll understand that these people can wait 50, 100 years if they need to, but they'll come back for you at some stage. So there's never going to be any guaranteed peace for anyone in the region unless uh, people are starting to realize that war and on this particular occasion is not going to solve anything. They need to step off from Palestine. They need to stop Israel, genocidal war, and they need to show that there are still justice for everyone in this world. Because if there's only a, a justice for the West, then obviously uh, the global South is starting to gonna create their own apparatus of justice. They're going to create their own organizations in order to be able to control their own international justice. Because clearly right now nothing is coming out of the UN and it's, it's bloody appalling. Yeah, just a side note there. There are those in Washington that want to see disruptions in the in the Red Sea and that trading portal because if they can stop Qatari LNG making it to Europe, then the United States can increase their sales of LNG to Europe at a much higher price as well. But in the end, this is going to also hurt Europe's economy because it's going to raise the cost of goods and services in Europe as well. Again, no one in Washington minds that too much uh, in fact they're probably pretty pretty happy about that uh, at the end of the day so we got some of these angles we're going to hopefully keep an eye on uh, and we appreciate uh, Freddie your contribution uh, on this subject and I want to point everybody to Freddie's ex Twitter account LFC News Media just put Freddie Ponton into the search bar you'll see the French flag uh, as part of his PFP icon and uh, do follow him on a daily basis share and retweet his work on that platform as well and uh, we'll be in touch Freddie uh, there's a lot of stuff going on it's it's going to be happening very quickly over the Christmas break so we'll be in touch and hopefully we'll have more conversations uh, in the coming days thank you Freddie something to look forward to thank you very much Patrick thank you there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Freddie Ponton. Top of the hour news headlines are coming up, and we're going to be delving into I want to uh, go back to latest developments with Ukraine, but also we'll get back to the Trump ballot Colorado controversy, what that means, a little more analysis there, all this and more, plus Benjamin Rubenstein. This is going to be a great conversation. Epstein's list. 
Epstein's list is being unsealed. Who's on it and what does that have to do with Washington's support for Israel? We'll talk all about that in the next hour. I'm Patrick Kennington, your host. Stick around, folks. We're just getting warmed up. <laughs> 